Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of John. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Awesome song that is, huh? He knows. Oh, he knows. He does. 
And he definitely knows our heart. Yes, he does. Thank you, Jesus. Never going to leave us nor forsake us. He's with us on this journey. What a, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. All right. How's everybody doing? It's great to see everybody tonight. I'm glad I'm here. I'm blessed to be here. I'll tell you. Halfway point during the week on a Wednesday, you know, I need I need to get plugged back in again. The world is the world. The way the world's going is trying to drag everybody into their thinking. And you know, I just like I I just you just want to shut the door and say, you know, I don't, I want to I want to think like God, not like the world. The world's in turmoil. People are dependent on people to change the world, and then everybody's worshiping and glorifying other people. And everybody has the same nature, has the same stuff in them. There's only one Savior. Jesus, that's what we're here to learn about and depend on Him. Not what people think or their viewpoints. Everybody has an opinion, that's for sure. And it seems like everybody has a solution, but they don't. Or else they'd be fixed already. There's no solution. Jesus is the solution. When He comes back, He'll settle all accounts. Amen? Put your faith and trust in Him and He'll get you through this. Money, things, stuff, material, work, whatever. That stuff ain't, you know, it ain't going to do it. It ain't going to do it. It just adds to frustration and unhappiness. And added responsibilities. I'm like, remember when Mary and Martha was getting all upset because Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet? Martha said, she, Mary has found what's important. It won't be taken from her. Everybody else is trying to get everything all go crazy. And she's just sitting at the feet of Jesus enjoying it. That's what we should be doing. Because we know we're our turn. This isn't our permanent home. And what we see is not the reality. Amen? The reality is in the Word of God. The more we see this, the better off we're going to be while we're waiting. Amen? All right, let's go to Matthew 5. Some great scriptures there. I'm going to go back to verse 13. <laughs> As always. Look at all the, look how much he wrote on there. That's only two verses. <laughs> Good job. Because that's an awesome scripture. It really is. All the scriptures are awesome. All right, so now the Holy Spirit's going to take over as He ministers to us. Try to stay focused on the Word of God and let the Spirit work. Put all your cares aside. Look at verse 13. Teaching about salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. Every single believer that believes in Jesus is the salt of the earth. And it says, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? So you're getting in your Christian life, you're getting in your walk, you're all zealous for God. Remember when you first get saved and you just can't wait to tell somebody about it? He's saying, what good is that salt if it loses its flavor as you start getting weary in the walk and starting to what? Lose that flavor and that glorifying God and all that excitement of being saved and finding truth. Look what it says. Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Remember the farmer and scattering seeds? The devil comes and takes it away. And then the second one, the cares of the world, and it start 
distracting you and you don't produce any fruit. And the third one, you know, material things start getting in the way and you start losing your focus. And then the last one is what? Those who's good-hearted people who focuses on the word and change and end up bringing a harvest with them. Amen? You ought to want to evaluate yourself. Read the farm of scattering seed to see where you're at with the Lord. Very simple. Now it says, verse 14, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under the basket or under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. What it's saying, when you're saved and Jesus is in you and you have that joy, you're showing light into the world in this dark world and it can't be contained. You're so full of joy because you found truth that it's just sitting on a hilltop and everybody can see it. They see it in you. Now look what it says. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise you. Uh, no, oh, it's not in there. Praise your heavenly Father. When you do good deeds after you get saved, it's for the glory of God, not for you to get recognized for doing it. The motive changes. You don't stop doing good deeds. The Bible's clear on that. You do good deeds, what? To glorify God now. So everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Teaching about the law. Look at verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the small detail of God's law will disappear. Amen? Amen. Until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom. You know, like, oh, don't worry, it's not that important that you learn about God or go to Bible study. You're saved and going to heaven. Don't worry about it. But anyone who obeys God's law or believes God's laws, obey and believe are synonymous in the Bible, and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 20. Ooh. But I warn you, Jesus said, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Wow. That's a powerful statement, ain't it? There's a lot of Pharisees that come to church that preach the Bible to everybody, right? But have nothing in it in their hearts. They don't live any of it. Bunch of Pharisees telling people what to do, how to live, when they've never been, became a believer themselves. Amen? They didn't go under the teaching or become a disciple first, and then to show light to the world through an experience that they've been changed. Amen? Amen. They go try to change everybody else, but they're not changed. It's all outward. Remember he said the worship is a farce. You teach man-made rules as commandments of God. Don't do this, don't do that, don't wear that, don't see this and don't say that. Yeah, yeah. And God will be happy with you. 
No, God, God's happy with you when you put faith in His Son. Amen. Amen. And let Him do the work in you. Amen. 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 All right, so we're going to continue our study in the book of John. It's been an awesome study so far. We got through the first chapter, and I'm not going to go backwards. So uh, only only one one or two verses, but... If you, wanna, if you haven't got into the first chapter with me, please go back and get it from the beginning because I laid out the whole groundwork of what we're going to be studying. And that for the sake of time, I'll, I won't be able to go back. And this is only really surface. This is an in-depth study because it would take over a year in itself to teach about John in itself. And we're not going to do that. We'll get into it again more and more as we grow. Can I get an amen? Okay. So I want us to go to verse um, chapter 1. I want you to go to verse 50, the last verse in chapter 1. And we're going to start there. And then we're going to talk about, like I said last week, we're going to just mention a little bit about John the Baptist, okay? We'll learn a little bit about John. Verse 50. Well, first he was talking about Nathaniel. Remember Nathaniel? He, he told Nathaniel, I seen you underneath the fig tree. And he said, wow, how did you know that? You must be the Messiah. And Jesus said, do you believe just, just because I told you that I seen you under the fig tree? He said, you will see greater things than this. Imagine what they were about to see. They didn't even, didn't even know what was, what was going to be coming. They seen the blind, the, the blind, the dead raised, the blind could see. Things that never happened before, the phenomenon and miraculous signs that Jesus was the Son of God. Now look what it says. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will see all, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. You want to get to God? You have to go through Jesus. You get to Jesus, he puts you on the stairway, like I told you. And once you believe in him, every step you go up is to heaven. Amen? And I just want to explain that scripture a little bit and where he got that from. Because it's pretty important of um, where he got that scripture. All right. This is a reference. Now, if you, if you, does anybody remember where that reference comes from? Let's see how much of a Bible student you are. What was he talking about? The reference to Jacob's dream is recorded in Genesis 28, 12. As, uni as a, the unique God-man, Jesus would be the ladder between heaven and earth. It was referenced in Genesis 28, verse 12. Jacob's ladder between heaven and earth. Jesus is not saying that this would be a physical experience, that they would see the ladder with their eyes, like the transfiguration, but that they would have spiritual insight into Jesus' true nature and purpose for coming. Amen? Okay, so we understand that. He's the stairway to heaven. There's a song, Stairway to Heaven, right? But no, it's Jesus. It's not Led Zeppelin, okay? <laughs> the heaven they were talking about wasn't through Jesus. No. We're not even going to even have to go into that. You can just, you know. You know. All right, let's go to chapter 2, all right? Let's go to chapter 2. Let's get into this a little bit. Is everybody ready for this? I know, yeah, I can tell. Everybody looks comfortable and attentive. That's good. All right, John chapter 2. Jesus turns water into wine. Oh, wait, before we go there, I forgot. I wanted to mention something about John the Baptist. 
See, I almost, I almost got ahead of myself. <laughs> then the Holy Spirit caught me and said, No, John, you remember I want you to tell him about John. How's that? Is everybody ready to learn about John the Baptist a little bit? Let's, learn, let's get his profile. There's no getting around it, okay? John the Baptist was unique. <laughs> he wore odd clothes, okay? And ate strange food. And preached an unusual message. <laughs> I mean, if you think about the strange food, I mean, he was eating locusts and wild honey. So I guess the, the honey kind of took over the flavor of the locust. He must, must have been dipping them in there or something. You know? I mean, because he wasn't cooking them, that's for sure. You know what I mean? He was just eating them. I'll tell you, plenty. Yeah, he must have been really healthy from that, though. I'll tell you. A lot of amino acids in locusts. <laughs> Preached an unusual message to the Judeans who went out to the wastelands to see him. But John did not aim at uniqueness for his own sake. Okay? Instead, he aimed at obedience. He knew he had a specific role to play in the world. Announcing the coming of the Savior. And he put all his energies into this task. Luke tells us that John was in the wilderness when God's word of direction came to him. John was ready and waiting. Okay? The angel who had announced John's birth to Zechariah had made it clear that this child was to be a Nazarite. <clears throat> One set apart for God's service. No, a Nazarite couldn't touch alcohol. They couldn't do a lot of different things. They had to deny themselves all kind of things to be cleansed enough to represent in the Lord properly. Amen? Because he's saying all that stuff pollutes you. In which it does. Okay, now it says, The angel announced to John's birth to Zechariah, it made it clear that this child was to be a Nazarite, one set apart for God's service. When you get saved, you know that you become set apart for God's service. And that's why you're contending with your sin nature, because that has to get out of the way so you could be of service to God. And there's where the sanctification process comes in. Amen? Because He saved you for a purpose. Can I get an amen for that? You were not just saved so you can keep doing what you did. He saved you so you can live a new life. And that do the very things that He created you to do that your sin nature got in the way of. So your sin nature serves you. Your new nature serves God. And the problem is, now it's a fight from here on in, from serving you and serving God. When God starts getting in the way and you want to serve and you want to serve you, you start making excuses not to talk to God or be with God. Because it come, you come first. But when you put God first, it's like, no, nothing comes in the way of this. He comes first. And what His will is, not mine. Amen? And that's the process that we're learning about of maturing in the faith. Knowing the very reason and what purpose he saved you to do. Okay? John remained faithful to that. Calling. This wild looking man had no power or position in the Jewish political system. But he spoke with almost irresistible authority. People were moved by his words. Okay? Because he spoke the truth. Challenging them to turn from their sins in baptizing them as a symbol of their repentance. They responded by the hundreds. But even as people crowded to him, he pointed beyond himself. 
Okay? Never forgetting that his main role was to announce the coming of the Savior. Just like you, when you get on this mission to tell people about Jesus, it's never to glorify you. It's always to glorify God. And John had the principle of, I must decrease and he must increase. My sin nature has to decrease and my new nature has to increase for me to be of any use to God. And that's the process of what we're talking about, spiritual growth. Okay? The words of truth that move many to repentance goaded others to resistance and resentment. John even challenged Herod to admit his sin. Herodias, the woman Herod had married illegally, decided to get rid of this wilderness preacher. Although she was able to have him killed, she was not able to stop his message. So true, right? The one John had announced was already on the move. John had accomplished his mission. God has given each of us a purpose for living. Okay? And we can trust him to guide us. John did not have the complete Bible as we know it today. But he focused his life on the truth he knew from the available Old Testament scriptures. Likewise, we can discover in God's word the truths he wants us to know. And as these truths work in us, okay, others will be drawn to him. God can use you in a way he can use no one else. Okay? Let him know your willingness to follow him today. All right, let's look at the strengths and accomplishments of and the lessons from John the Baptist. Strengths and accomplishments. The God-appointed messenger to announce the arrival of Jesus. Okay? A preacher whose theme was repentance. A fearless confronter. Boy, he confronted the Pharisees too. Prove by the way you live that you've changed and you have eternal life. Remember he was telling them? How about you? Prove by the way that you live that you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Known for his remarkable lifestyle. It sure was. You'll never forget his lifestyle, right? You know he ate locusts and wild honey, right? First time you read it, you never forgot it. Right? Known for his remarkable lifestyle, and he was very, he didn't come a compromise. John the Baptist never compromised the truth. Lessons from his life that we all can learn from his life. God does not guarantee an easy or safe life to those who serve him. Get that through your head right now. John the Baptist did not think his head was going to get cut off, that he was going to introduce the Messiah. I'm sure in his mind he thought he had, God had better plans for him. Like he was going to get blessed for doing it in the flesh, right? Because he even started one when he said, in jail, remember? He said, how did I end up here? Go back and ask Jesus, is he the one or should we look for someone else? How did I land in jail? By introducing him. Same with you. By you becoming a believer and glorifying God, don't be surprised where you end up. You might end up in a palace or you might end up in a pit. There's no guarantee. So you have to make, Jesus always said, count the cost. It's going to cost you your life. Wherever I put you is where I put you. But the thing is, I'm guaranteeing you a spot in heaven. So don't worry about it. Just do as I say, and you're going to get there. That's what he's trying to say. 
So remember that lesson. God does not guarantee an easier, safe life to those who serve Him. A lot of us are immature. We go through life. Problems come. But God, I've been following you. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through such torture? Why me? Well, you're just a lack of understanding. Why are you? I don't know. Ask him. Say, God, why? He's trying to show you something. Something in your character. Look, we're going to get persecuted for his name's sake, and we're going to get blessed. We all like to lean on the blessed side, though, right? Oh, please, Lord. I went through enough heartache. But if it's to glorify him, it's well worth it. And it's to get another person into the kingdom, it's well worth you satisfying yourself for a short period of time by doing what you want. Amen? Which fades away till the next problem, till the next thing I want to do, or next thing I want to accomplish as a goal for my life, or my bucket list while I'm here. Can I get an amen for that? You live for Jesus, you might kick the bucket. You don't even know what's going to happen. And let me tell you something. The sooner you get out of here, the better off you are. Because let me tell you what the Bible says, what is going to be coming. And don't think that you're not going to go through anything while you're here, because we're already going through it now. It's already started. People think we're going to get taken out of here. No, we're going to go through some problems before we get taken out of here okay because we're the soldiers how are the soldiers going to get taken out of here before the war does it make any sense to you he, he he saves us to be soldiers why is he going to take the soldiers out before the war he's training us for war spiritual war just think about it. the simple simpleness of why would he why would god make me a soldier and then take me out before i got a battle Can I get an amen for that? Are you ready to battle? I am. Because let me tell you something. I've been, the devil's been all over me, fighting me all the time. I'm, I, I, I don't want him to win anymore. I got Jesus in me. Now I'm going to start getting a victory. Because of Jesus. Not because of John. Because I can't beat the devil. He's way stronger than me. My willpower fails. Because willpower is, willpower is just denying something you want. God's power is not wanting it anymore. Amen, Amen. <laughs> Amen right? <laughs> Losing the desire for it is the key. Right. Whether they put it in front of you or not, it, no, it doesn't move you anymore because you don't want it. Right. But willpower is like, I want it. I can't be near it because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. God, God would rather change our desires than give us our desires. Amen? Yeah. All right. Another lesson. Doing what God desires is the greatest possible life investment. Doing what God desires for you is the greatest possible investment in your life. You know why? Because you can't lose. Everything you do for Christ down here, you, you get rewarded in heaven for. Everything you do for yourself down here stays down here. So I'd rather do things for Him so I can take some stuff with me. Amen? So if you fall in love with these things down here, boy, you're going to have to say goodbye to them. But when you fall in love with Jesus down here, you never have to say goodbye to him. You're always going to be with him. Enough with stuff. You've got enough of stuff. All it does is, 
is block my relationship with Jesus, all that stuff. Because now I got responsibilities to take care of that stuff. Well, I can't go to church. Why? Well, because I, I got to pay for all these things. I got to work overtime. Well, God, God doesn't bless us like that because when He blesses us, it doesn't add any sorrows to it. Amen. He doesn't add any problems. Okay. Lessons from his life. Standing for the truth is more important than life itself. Standing for truth is more important than life itself. Let's look at the vital statistics. Where was this? In Judea. His occupation was a prophet. His relatives was his father, Zechariah. His mother, Elizabeth. And his distant relative was... Jesus. Hey, see? It was Jesus. A line in the descendant of King David. Right? See? You're learning. Right? Key verses. I tell you the truth. Of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Matthew, guess what this one is? 11.11. See that number all the time, right? Say, wow. That's what it means. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. John's story is told in all four Gospels. His coming was predicted in Isaiah 40, verse 3, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, and he is mentioned in Acts 1, 5, and 22, in 1037, 1116, 13, 24, 25, and Acts 18, 25, and 19, 3, and 4. So we see he was in, mentioned in the whole transition into the New Testament, John the Baptist. So I guess he was important, right? Isn't that awesome? All right, so you learn something about John now. Now let's go back to two. Let's go back and study about Jesus now. Now it's time for Jesus, right? John wasn't the Messiah. He said, I'm not the Messiah. Guess what? You're not the Messiah either. Your job is to get people to Jesus, not to what you think they should be like. Your job is to teach them to get to the Bible. Your job is to get them to the Bible and let the Bible teach them. Because that's the only thing that can change a person, is the very words of God. You can talk to somebody till they're blue in the face and they ain't changing. The words of God, the Holy Spirit comes in, speaks to our conscience, and we get convicted of things, and then we simply outgrow them. And it's only through renewing of our mind with the Word of God. If you do not read the Word of God, you will never renew your mind, and you will never overcome your sin nature. It will never, ever happen. That's a fact. Don't think just coming here is going to change you. No, it's a supplement. You still have to do your own studying, reading the Word of God, right? Fellowship with other believers. There's a lot of things we have to do to keep it going. I'm just a supplement to help you understand it. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. John 2. Is everybody there? Jesus turns water into wine. Wow. This is the first miraculous sign. And he did it anyway. He told his mother, my time has not yet come. But he did it anyway. Yeah. See? Jesus had so much compassion. And he said, look, my time hasn't come yet. But he still did it. He's awesome. He's so cool. Who wouldn't want to know him? Who wouldn't want to be like him? Think about it. 
Just think about going into this world and acting like Jesus wherever you go. Be able to uh, accept people and not let them, you know, let, if they talk about you, forgive them and have compassion on people, not complain about anything. Just love. Well, that's what he told us he can do with us. That's what he told us what we can become if you let him do that to you. It's up to you if you want that to happen. It's never going to happen if you don't let him do it. If you want to stay you. Because you can believe, but like I said before, you have to become a believer. You have to become, you have to be a disciple and learn his ways, and then you become a believer, and then you actually practice what you believe. And there's a process wherever you'd rather not do. How could you be a teacher before you're a student? All right, verse 1. The next day, Jesus turns water into wine. There was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Oh boy. So <laughs> Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, he said. He didn't even say mom. You notice yeah. that? He said, dear woman. That's not our problem, Jesus Christ. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. See, there was a connection there. See it? Just do what he says. See, you know? <laughs> how about how about this principle for you? Just do what he says. Just do whatever he tells you. Jesus tells you to do something, just do it. Very simple, huh? Hard, isn't our flesh? I don't want to do it. I'll do it later. All right. <laughs> Look at verse six. Standing nearby were six stone water were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. The water jars were what they washed their hands in it. Okay. Before they eat, remember the teacher of religious law. Why do you not wash your hands before you eat? He said, eating with dirty hands will never make you unclean. It's not what you put in your mouth that makes you dirty. It's what comes out of your heart. Yeah. Eating something will never make you unclean, Jesus said. But they did the outward rituals, but they had unclean hearts. Right. Same thing, right? Well, I go to church, I wash my hands, I put a suit on, I go to church every day, every week, and I read my Bible and I pray. I'm so good. <laughs> And then when you're not here, whatever you're thinking is not even nothing like Jesus would think. Amen? It's all outward. All right, so look what it says. Each, each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So he said, Pour a little bit off, top it off, get it off, get it out, and then take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And what, what happened? The water turned into wine. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, because they filled the jugs with water. Yep. Imagine, they said, how the heck? Yeah, right. <laughs> He's got to be Jesus. That's got to be God. Yeah. Who else could do that? 
Imagine. These people actually saw these things take place. Just imagine you opening, you know, a bottle of water and, and, and say, oh, wow. Then it turned into a bottle of wine. I'm not saying to drink the wine, but I mean, you know, if it, were, it would be pretty amazing. That's up to you. I don't get involved with any of that. Anyway, look what it says. Tasted the water that was not wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first. I love this. This is so true. He said, then when everybody had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. Give him the top shelf first, and then we'll give him the... After they, yeah, they don't even know what it is. They'll drink, they'll drink anything after that. We know the principle. We know the principle, right? It can be real here. <laughs> and then everyone has a lot to drink. He brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. So not only was it Jesus turned it to wine, but he turned it into the best wine. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He can turn you into the best life he can transform you into. He can turn you into the best. He can turn you into the person he created you to be by the very power of God. Imagine. Now look what it says. Look, look, then he says, This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. That was the first event. And his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Now I'm just going to say a little bit here. The message and ministry of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus stresses the deity of Christ. He gives us eight miracles, okay, that serve as signs that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? In this section, he records Jesus describing himself as the bread of life, the water of life, the light of the world, the gate, and the good shepherd. John provides teachings of Jesus found nowhere else. Okay? This is the most theological of the four Gospels. This a little side note. Okay, look at verse 13. Jesus encounters belief and unbelief from the people. Here it is. Jesus clears the temple. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, right? Look at verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. They were making money off the sacrifices. Yeah. Human heart. If there's some profit to be made on somebody, boy, they go right on it. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. Was it Wall Street in there? In, in God's house. So Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out, all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changes, coins all over the floor, and turned over the tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. How about that principle of the churches today? Stop turning my father's house into a marketing place. 
mocking Jesus. Doing it now. Very little truth is going out these days. The devil has got them all. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passions for God's house will consume me. Imagine. Imagine. Did anybody remember reading that? Okay. I digress. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If I gave you authority to do this, if God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. I love this one. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. What they exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, I don't even have to explain it, the Bible does. He meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead. This, his disciples remembered he had said this and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Jesus and the scriptures always lined up. They always went back to see if what Jesus was saying was in the scriptures. So you should always go and see what we're saying is in the scriptures. The same thing like a Berean. Most people just believe what anybody's saying at the pulpit and take yeah, it as truth. Right. Yep. Instead of saying, let me go back and look and yeah, see if right. that's true. And let me see if they're trying to take it out of context. And that's what they do. So they can what? Get what they want through the scriptures. And twist them to their own destruction and other people's. There's a lot of principles that people try to take in from the Old Testament. And they try to tie them into the New. But it says that's the Old Covenant that was done away with. The New Covenant is the New Covenant. There is no Old and New together. It's done away with. You can't bring any of that. Jesus is the best way, Amen. the way, the truth, and the life. But they try to bring some of them principles back to gain something on people. Yep. Well, you're going to follow the commandments. You're going to follow this. You're going to tithe. You're going to give this. You're going to do that. He says, you know, there's nothing wrong with that if you want to give 10%. You know what? When you give from your heart, the Bible says you give more than 10% of what you make. That's why we don't ask for that here. There's a lot of places that say, I have 10% as your, of whatever you make. I need 10% of it. And people say, oh, and they do it. A lot of places do it. And rather than saying, you know what? My spiritual life is worth more than 10% of what I make because Jesus make, it gives it to me anyway. Amen. But no, well, whatever. That's in your own heart. That's between you and God, what you give. I don't ask. If your heart is right, 10% is nothing. How about an amen for that? Amen. That's how you really know how much you love somebody. When, when, when it comes to going into your pocket for something, shows you how much you love what you're learning or whatever. It just shows. That shows the value of something. Deal. That's why we don't, we don't get whatever, whatever's in your heart because we know what I give? My life. I give my life. It's more valuable than money. I give my life to Jesus. It's not just about giving your money. It's about giving your time, your attention, or whatever way you can help somebody out. Whatever, be of service for somebody. Or when you're not here, can't get a hold of you because you're out doing your thing. Well, that's just, that's just why Jesus saved you, so you can go out and do your thing, right? 
I digress. Now, he says, it took him, look, Nicodemus visits at night. <laughs> this is, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Nicodemus is out there, right? They want to know about Jesus, but they won't bring it to the surface. That's all right. <laughs> because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. Now, we all start to begin to trust him as things happen in our lives as he comes through. As you let him work in your life, you start to trust him with things. But if you never, if you never let him do things in you, then you never get to build a trust for him. Right. You've got to actually trust him. And when he says, all right, God says, do this, I'm going to let him do it. Right. I'm going to trust him and see what the result is. But if you never do that, then you never develop a trust for him. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. It's all up to you. This is all, all Jesus does is give you a choice. Now you have a choice to make the right choice all the time. Now that you have Jesus and the Holy Spirit in you. Amen? Because, all right, now look what it says. Many began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them. Because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature. For he knew what was in each person's heart. Oof. You can sit here, come to church for your whole life, and not even be with Jesus. Because he knows what's in your heart. Imagine, you know, well I go to church and I read my Bible, that must mean I'm saved. No, that doesn't mean you're saved. There's people that read the Bible all the time that are not saved. They do it for theological reasons, they do it for studying, they do it for schooling, they do it for all kinds of reasons. That's not an indication that I'm saved just because I read my Bible. The indication of your save is the fruit of your salvation or what you're doing with it. Amen. A life lived worthy of the call proves it. And it proves to yourself. Say, wow, I would never do that before. Yeah, right. That's how I know something different in me. I would never get out of my... I would never stop doing something for me to help someone else. Yeah. I would never deny myself when it came up to me. That's how I know there's something else in me running my life. Because it ain't about me anymore. I start having compassion. And I start seeing beyond my little box. And I start seeing the needs of others being that I might be a service to God. And say, wow. I didn't see that before. Now my eyes are open. I can see that it's not just about me. That's how you know. And that's how you grow. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> If you really want to know, then you'll know. It'll know by your actions and how you live. If you really believe it, God will change you. If something happens. You can't even explain it. It's nothing in you. You start outgrowing the old ways. Like, I'm not interested in that anymore. That's not nothing to me because I know me. Me likes that. God says, no, you don't need that anymore. And let go of it. So, well, okay. And you let go of it. Say, all right, thank you, Jesus. I didn't need it anyway. I was holding on to something that I didn't need. I was living a lie. All right, let's go to chapter 3. Did, huh? I didn't? Yes, I did. The nature he knew was in each person's heart. Did I not say it? I want to say it again. Well, let's read it again. That's a good one. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. But oh, Jesus... Whatever's in our heart is about us. And our motives is what we can get out of it. You can be 
goody-goody and get plaques all over the wall. It's to get recognized and good. Like I said, when you let somebody go and they don't wave, how rude. They could at least wave and say thank you. Well, then you did it for the wrong reason. You wanted to get recognition that I did something good. Instead of saying, I did it for the glory of God. I did it because I would want someone to do that for me. It doesn't matter if they wave or not. Get it? Different motive. But then when you say, hmm, how rude. You could at least say thank you. Jesus healed nine lepers, remember, ten lepers, remember? Only one of them said thank you. He didn't say, I'm taking it back. One of them appreciated it. Amen? Out of ten. Think about the world. You might get one that waves and nine that don't. But does that mean I'm not going to do it anymore? <laughs> or even being nice to somebody. Well, they weren't nice back to me. I'm not going to be nice to them anymore. Oh, is that was the condition? Or you did it because you did it to love, because you love Jesus and love people. I did it. Now I did something nice to them. Now forget it. They weren't nice to me. So that's it. It's over. Lord, that's really the heart of God, ain't it? Imagine if he did that with us. Imagine when he said, right. and when we walk away from him or we start getting stubborn, he said, right, that's enough for you. You don't trust me. I'm out. Do unto others as you, that golden rule. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Very simple. Oh, so hard, right? We're so self-absorbed, even as Christians. With our agendas. Saying, I'm calling myself a Christian, but I'm, a Christian is someone who gives their life to Christ. John chapter 3, look at verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus. We're going to start this. We've got a couple of minutes. We'll get started. A Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, he thought he was a teacher, right? Rabbi means teacher. We all know. Look, see what he said here? We all know. The Pharisees knew who he was. We all know. Look what it says. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, logically, if you think about that, how can I be born again? What does that mean? See, if you're not, if you don't have anything spiritual, you will never understand what born again means. How can I go back into my mother and get born again? What do you mean, Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Right? First you have to be born physically, and then you have to be born spiritually, and that's how you enter the kingdom of God. You don't enter the kingdom of God when you go to heaven. You enter the kingdom of God when you believe. You already are into it. You're already in it. And now we're building his kingdom by bringing others in the, into the kingdom. He's preparing us for eternity. Now it said, now he explains it. Humans, look at verse 6, can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit 
gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. That is not something that's a choice. That's a condition. In order to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. This is this. I love this. I love this explanation of the Holy Spirit because you can't. It's mysterious. The wind blows just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. You just can't explain it. How it happens. You know, one day is this something happens. You can't explain where it came from. It just happened. Your eyes were open, and all of a sudden, the Word of God is interesting to you. And you want to learn more about Him. It's like, where did that come from? Where did that desire come from? Get it? So that's how you know. Something happens. You want to know more about God. No, we know we're not perfect. See, see, people get this so messed up about, well, you know, I fell into sin. You know, I'm not. Nobody's talking about perfect. We fall and we fail. But we don't want to stay there. We're going in a different direction. We're going towards eternal life. Not back to the natural life. We know we fall. We got this sin nature. But we don't use it as an excuse to keep doing it. We use God's glory to stop. Say, you know what? I want to. I don't, I don't want to live for myself anymore because when I do, I self-destruct. So if I start living for God, I'm not going to do them things because they hurt God and other people. I don't want to hurt them. I could care less about myself. Now it's not about me. Now I want to, I want to, want to hurt people. I don't want to hurt Jesus. You see? So then you don't do it. Because if it's up to you living for yourself, you know what you do. You do things that kill you for yourself. But when it comes to doing things for God, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. Because people are looking up to me, and I'm supposed to be an example to them. So I'm not going to do that. See the difference? That's born again. It's not about me anymore. Now I can see, and my eyes are open, that I can see that my things that I do affect other people too. My actions and decisions affect other people. So now I have to keep my eyes open and say, well, these decisions and choices I make who else is going to get affected by it? When you're in your own little world, you don't think it's bothering anybody else. Look, that's my life. I do what I want with it. No, you're affecting other people by your choices. That's why it says you're going to be born again. So, you know, now you say, before that happens, you say you want to go do something. Say, you know what? I want to do that. But, you know what? God doesn't want me to do that. I know my brothers and sisters are dependent on me, so I can't do that. That's how you change. That's how you overcome something. You do it for His glory. Amen. Amen? That's a transformation. Instead of about worrying about material wealth and all these things while you're down here, something that can't you can't take with you anyway, fix your eyes on eternal things. How can I be a service to God? How can I be a, a, make myself available to the ministry? What can I do? God, show me what my gift is. Let me tell you something. If you want to know what your gift is, God will show you what it is. If you don't want to know what it is, you'll never find it. And you go through my Christian life, not even knowing why I got saved. Right. And who wants to live like that? That's why you're a miserable Christian. Because you never really understand why you were saved. Right. And what the purpose is in your life. Alright, we've got to stop there. Thank you for letting me share that. We'll get back into um, chapter 3 when we get together. And we'll explain this born again a little bit more.
Thank you. God is good. God is so good. Amen. All right, we're going to stand and worship the Lord. Granny and Deb are going to come up and close us, and we're going to go. You want to close some prayer tonight? Come on up. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Drew. Have a great night until we meet again. God bless. Peace.